In the race to success, we're not all starting from the same place. Level the Pursuit seeks to fill in the gaps and provide accessible, bite-sized leadership lessons for anyone looking to improve their skills and prepare for the next step, whatever that might be. What's up, my friends? I hope you are having an absolutely fantastic week. I am so excited. My husband and I get to go look for our new house this week. So um, when you're hearing this, we will be in the middle of looking at brand new houses. Well, not new houses, new to us um, for our next duty station. And I am so freaking excited. Oh my goodness. It's going to be awesome. So last week we talked about in-group and out-group. And I was thinking a little bit about some of the stuff I talked about with respect to having to choose which group you're in, especially when you have that dissonance, when there's conflict. And one thing I kind of left out that I think is worth mentioning is you don't always get to choose, right? So if the out group is based on how you look, your color, your gender, something like that, doesn't matter what you identify with because the people around you get a vote also, right? They they put you in in those little boxes that are comfortable for them and their way of thinking about things. And so that can really compound that dissonance is when you feel differently or you think something about you is more relevant, but the people around you don't give you the respect to let you have that in that moment. So as you think about in-group and out-group, I just wanted to add that little piece of it because it really does make a difference because this isn't something that we can conquer on our own. But I do think the stuff that I mentioned about finding ways to create connections and expand your us I think that is something we can do on our own. And as we get better at it, we can help other people to do it too. So I think it's still relevant, but I wanted to clarify that point. So this week we have a really cool guest, um, Dr. Andy Clayton. So he is an Air Force Reservist and in his spare time, which I don't think he has a whole lot of actually, uh, but in his main job, he is an educator for the Air Force in leadership. And his main area of expertise is really around virtual reality and artificial intelligence. And it's absolutely fascinating stuff. I've worked with Andy uh, for several months now and and we've taught together. And he just has amazing perspective on how we can use that technology to help people learn in a lot of different ways. And it's not just in leadership, but also in technical specialties, but really it's looking at using these opportunities to make the best use of our time so that we can get the most out of creating our new leaders. Andy is also the author of the article Virtual Leadership Simulator, The Missing Gap in Soft Skill Training. And he collaborated with Airman Magazine to create a video on toxic leadership, which is available in the show notes if you'd like to take a look at that. So stay tuned for some very interesting things, and you'll hear from Dr. Andy Clayton. So Andy, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Mary. really appreciate letting me be here with you. This will be fun. Absolutely. So to start off with, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about how you came to where you are today with your interest in virtual reality? That's a, that's a great question. I never thought that I would actually be, um, I guess, one of the experts-ish at Air University on virtual reality. Uh, I started back probably as a captain. Uh, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do after my master's. And I knew I wanted to get my doctorate. Uh, my, my father was a, a, a professor. My grandfather was a professor. They were in philosophy. I was like, well, I can't do it. I'm not gonna do it in philosophy. <laughs> I'm in the Air Force. Um, I love education. Um, I love this 
thought on leadership and actually at the application level. So my master's was in that. So I was trying to figure out what can I do in a dissertation that would allow us to look at like the application of leadership. And so I was a captain at SOS, had been at SOS for a long time as a reservist. So I'd seen a lot there and I thought, well, what if I, what if we looked at what, what we're doing at SOS? Cause that's literally the leadership laboratory for the air force, right? The application of, of captains getting to, to apply leadership through the curriculum in, in, the, in that course. And one of the professors there was looking at technology and created these little kind of avatars that you would watch on a TV or on a computer screen, they would interact. And then a choice would come up and it would say, what did you, what did you see? Or what leadership behavior was being used? And the student would pick, and then it would kind of give you a, a prompt about if you picked it right or wrong. And then you would discuss in the classroom, like, oh, this is kind of neat. And it was just kind of the cutting edge there, but it was expensive to do for like 30 seconds. It cost like $8,000 to make this little 30 second video. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, it's like, well, we're using it, but it's prototyped. And then a year later, uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to start my dissertation. And so, and in that year, SOS actually had advanced even more using kind of this immersive technology and avatars where you could actually like go into a virtual environment and interact with other avatars and uh, talk to each other, like in live form, just like us talking to each other. And so I thought, well, well, what happens if students at SOS can't do those application leadership lab things. What happens when they sit in the classroom, they sit in their dorm room because they've been put on profile or something, they're missing those things. And I thought, well, what if they could do something like that in a virtual world? And so that's how I, that's how I started my dissertation and that focus on how we could do application of leadership using um, different immersive technology, but it wasn't virtual reality. It was just on the computer screen and you would control an avatar on the computer screen and you could talk to another avatar on the screen. And that student could be in some other state so you're crossing, you know, geographic areas, but you're both in the same virtual world and getting to talk to each other. And I could give you a problem and you could solve it together. So now I can have a profile student do something while the other students at SOS were outdoors doing their outdoor leadership lab type stuff. And so that's kind of how it started. And I, that was my dissertation focus was this application and kind of an asynchronous environment using synchronous technology. And so then we thought, well, it could be used for online schools, like the e-school for SOS or ACSC or any online course in academia could use that because most online schools, what do you do? You do, you know, DQ posts, you do that asynchronous conversation where instructor gives a prompt and then you go read it two days later and you respond to it. And then maybe a student responds to your post and you have this kind of asynchronous dialogue for most of your online type courses. Well, how do you, how does that help and somebody applying leadership behaviors or leadership skills. And so what if, I was like, well, what if we had this in an online course? And during your course, whether it was a two week course or a four week online course or whatever it was, at some point you had to sign up and sign up with at least two or three other students and do this online synchronous thing where you could apply it in an online course. And so that's kind of what our next step was. And so that was kind of my focus and that's what we did and it worked out great. And then I, I left, went on, moved over to other schools across Air University and teaching. And then somehow virtual reality kind of blew up uh, across academia, corporate industry. And they were basically doing the same thing that we did on a 2D screen. And so I was like, wait a minute, this is kind of interesting. And I didn't want to get into it because I'm, I'm not a programmer. I don't know how to do any of that stuff in VR, but I know that it works, like that the application in immersive technology can actually, it, it does work. And so I kind of, I wanted to see what it was like and started looking at it. And there was one other professor at AU that was running the VR research task force for Air University. 
Uh, and so I, I tagged along his first year when he started the elective for Air University and just tagged in the back because I had some of the background information of how I used it in the 2D space. And uh, I just sat in the back and kind of watched the whole course. And I got credit for sitting back and watching as the instructor, but didn't really do anything. And then he retired the next year and Air University said, hey, you're in charge of the course now. <laughs> and so, so I'm like, I don't, <clears throat> that's when I bought my VR first, my, my first VR headset. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to teach this in like six months because it was around probably about like a March timeframe. So I knew when the next school year started around August, I'm like, this class is going to start. And I don't know too much about VR other than what I saw the last professor go through and stuff. And his, and his dissertation was on VR. So he knew everything about the, you know, the headsets and like every single term. And the I actual nuts and bolts of how Exactly. It so I was like, um, so I bought my first VR headset and play with it through from for a couple months and stuff and then start doing research and like, wait a minute, this stuff is the same as what I did. It's just now in VR. So that's how I started. And the long, long story short there, it's kind of how I got into it. And so now uh, I'm uh, probably about two years into it for AU. Um, we sent students last year to the world's largest conference for simulations. Uh, we have eight students this year that are putting papers in for VR across the spectrum. A lot of them are actually focusing on leadership application this year. Last year we had more technology type mm -hmm. students did, but this year they all seem to kind of be focusing more on this soft skill, human domain leadership and immersive technology. So we have eight students submitted papers and we should know in about uh, sometime here in March if they got accepted for publication for the conference. And if they do, then we'll take them down to Orlando in December with our new group of students that will be going through the elective this next school year. So, so apparently I'm the VR person. <laughs> Well, that's what happens, right? You show up and you get a new job. Exactly, I know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious though, you know, we've been doing a lot with virtual reality and simulation in pilot training and in medical applications. You and I have chatted a little bit about that. So have you seen, do you feel like they were faster or slower to adapt it for the human domain stuff? Is it an easier sell for the technology or what have you seen? Yeah, Mary, I love that question. I, I think it's there's um, it's it's faster for uh, when you get into the technical career fields like pilot training. Um, you see it somewhat in the army when they get into like the simulations. Mm -hmm. They are extremely high speed, and the, the learning curve is real fast. And they create amazing stuff on the on the I, I call it the hard skills or the technical skills. It's just blown up on on how industry and in the military have have looked at that. When we get to that human domain, it's still such a slower process, especially in the military. We don't seem to focus on that as much on how we can use immersive technology uh, in this human domain. The healthcare industry though, however, has really hit its, its stride when it comes to that, um, which, I, which is great. I just feel like maybe we've, we've missed the boat a little bit in the military and we have, we have the health system in the military too, uh, as well as the, the rest of the human domain of airmen and people that we lead. And we're just, we're just not hitting it like, like we are when we look at hard skills and technical skills. Pilot training next, maintenance training next. Um, almost multiple operational squadrons across the Air Force are using VR and some type of technical training, whether it's for air mobility or for, or for um, the fighter community. Everybody seems to have some form of a VR system being used all the way from pilot training all the way through its weapon systems across the different pilot weapon systems that we use. Do you, do you think 
think it's related to the vulnerability piece. Like if, if you say fly this airplane, like here's your, here's your rudder, you know, here, take the stick, you get to see what you're doing. There's no vulnerability. I mean, you can crash it, right? You can crash in a sim, but there's no vulnerability there. But when you're in a VR situation and you're trying to lead someone, you're talking someone down from a mental health issue, you're trying to coach someone through a leadership problem, those are real feelings. Like you have to actually feel that. Do you think that that's part of what holds people back? Yeah, absolutely, Mary. I think that, I think that's actually spot on. When, when you're in that human domain, right? There's this, this fear of, I almost think almost connectedness, right? A process of connection, right? And so you don't need that in the hard skill, technical skill area, but when you get in that human domain, this process of connection and, and people are like, well, how does that work with the immersive technology? How does that work in virtual reality or augmented reality? You can't make that connection. Can't, there's not a process to make a connection of the human domain in VR. And so, and then, so then it looks awkward or people think it will look awkward in some type of immersive technology um, to, to, to get that, to that connection or that process of connection. And that connection could be connection between two people, an actual connection with yourself on self-reflection. There's, you know, there's, it's just interesting how um, when you look at technology, a lot of times people think technology or immersive technology takes you away from getting to the connection of humanity, right? Or the human domain or how you can lead people, right? And get into that soft skill. But if you, but because the way technology is going now, you can actually do more in immersive technology with connection because we create these things like suspension of disbelief. We create the realism, the presence, but it does feel awkward. And I think people feel like, oh, I, I can fail in this. There's, there's companies out there that do embodied stuff where you put VR on and you embody somebody that has Parkinson's, right? So however, have you have ever, my dad had Parkinson's, but I never knew how, what it was like for him when I'd see him in those bad states where he, you could tell her like he just wants to jump out of his body but he can't mm -hmm. see him go through that like how do i communicate with him how do i make that connection with him and like and i love him right but i don't know what he's going through and it was hard to go into the rooms a lot of times because i didn't know what to say or what to do or how to connect with them because i don't have the experience i can't be him if you will and what he's going through but now i think they can do that it's called applied vr or embodied vr where i can put that on and kind of in a way feel or have that presence of what it's like to have somebody with Parkinson's. So now I have that. And then now I may be able to make a better connection. Right. And that's where I see that. But I do, you I do agree. I think people fail when you go in and, and you're talking to an avatar or you're in, a, or in some VR system and you know, Oh my gosh, wait, this thing's going to make me cry. <laughs> and right. So there, there, there's, there's another company that has a, a body VR that does it for people that have lost a loved one. Um, and, and they're using it only for, uh, it's in test phase, but the, the best case they had was it was a young Korean girl, daughter, about seven years old, who had a rare blood disease. So when she was born, you know, her diagnosis wasn't good and she made it to about, she was eight years old and she passed away. So the, the company took all these photos, all this audio of her over her time, and made that daughter into an avatar. And the family wanted to do this. And then they put the mother in VR because she wanted to have closure as a kind of testing it. And she went in and as soon as she put it on and, that, and the daughter comes walking into the VR thing, right? The mother just- Oh my and, gosh. And she has haptic gloves on so she can touch in the VR. So she's putting her hands out, trying to hold her daughter and just crying. And it's in Korean, right? So I can't even understand what she's saying. <laughs> But it's just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in tears 
Um, I'm like, oh, how does this, oh my goodness, what's happening? And she is just literally bawling. But afterwards, the family was like, that gave us closure. Now they knew, I mean, they had seven years, they knew that she was gonna pass away. But to people are afraid that you can actually get that much connection in VR, right? And, um, and I think people are afraid of the technology maybe going too far because that could be a way in which it looks like maybe you're going too far because when people pass away, that's kind of it. But what happens if a family member gets killed in a car crash, right? Something unexpected and you didn't get that closure. Mm -hmm. That's where you can do that. Now, so that's how you see that human domain being used. But across the board, I think people don't see how technology like that can get us closer to humanity or allow us to practice the human domain, practice that dialogue and make mistakes in a virtuality and have that practice. And like, so now I could talk to my dad about what I know he's going through or, mm -hmm. or simulation that we use and talk to somebody when they're going through a traumatic divorce or something like that. And they come to you asking for help. How often can you practice right, that conversation? Absolutely. I, I think that that's an amazing perspective because, you know, we talk about when things go poorly and we share them and we try to say, okay, this is what I went through, but you never really know how you're going to respond to a difficult situation until you're in it. And so the idea that you could practice a couple of times and maybe still not get it right, but at least you don't feel like a complete moron when you're, you know, you're there and you don't, you don't feel like you get to support someone. Cause one of the most difficult things about messing up is having a long time before you get to try again. I mean, that's, you just sit, I mean, I remember when I wasn't operating a lot, if I had a bad case to finish a day, man, I wanted to get back in the OR as soon as I could, because otherwise all I could think about was that bad experience. And I didn't get to, to get more reps in. And the idea of getting to get some reps in is really exciting when you talk about leadership and human domain. So do you see this as something that's applicable? Do you think it's going to stay niche or do you think this is going to be more widely applicable? Oh, I, I definitely see this is going to be more widely applicable. Uh, you, uh, you, there's multiple ranges of kind of this technology where, where we see it, where we use the mixed reality avatar, where we're, you know, we're seeing now we're trying to screen talking to it all the way to um, you put VR on and you're actually talking to a, a completely artificial intelligence avatar that has been pre-programmed. It has scripts, it has algorithms for what you say, and it knows its choices to pick from. And then there's a gamut all the way in between that. Uh, and you're also seeing it not just in the Air Force, like we use it in our course, but the Army uses it in, in their elite program for their immersive training environment. It's used uh, in the Navy. Navy uses a very similar thing that we use, but it's all artificial intelligence of an avatar. And they have it's for their initial officer training system. Uh, and so, so both the Army and the Navy are using something similar, but they use an artificial intelligence avatar. And then the Army has actually also connected it to um, their SHARP program. It's okay. Actually, yeah, their, their uh, assault uh, response program, harassment. So how do you, how do you um, create an environment or culture, right, as a leader, um, you know, around this, you know, understanding of harassment, assault, and sexual, you know, prevention and have that opportunity to kind of practice that. And so what they've done is they actually take a, a real case study and they have that person tell their story and then they take that story, that, that audio and add an avatar to it. And so then you can go in and actually have a conversation and listen to the whole story, a real story of somebody's real voice, but now it's an avatar. And, th and that's the great thing about, and so why don't we just watch somebody or have somebody tell us their story? And that sometimes can get too, uh, personal, right? And become, it becomes too real. 
And so, and this is why this whole virtual thing is working, I think, and why it's exploding, is it creates this kind of safe space to allow us to practice that human domain for people to practice kind of those leadership skills, empathy, emotional intelligence. And they can mess up without hurting someone's feelings. And you can mess up without hurting somebody, right? And this, and so, and you can repeat and repeat and repeat, which gives you, like you said, that practice, that practice, that practice. And it kind of reminds me of um, like an ethical decision-making. How often do you get to actually practice ethical decision-making as a leader, right? Because the only way you really get to practice it is when you're in that situation, ethical thing in front of you. And that's not the time to practice it. That's the time for it to be part of your character, part of that, you know, part of your values, the things that you've already set yourself up for. So when you're in that difficult situation, it's easy for you. So if you can practice and practice and repeat in a safe environment, you actually, what they, it's called etching, you etch into your mind, right? And so, and if you look at the term character, right? The, the root word for character means to etch into, to etch into your psyche, right? And so if I can practice and practice repeat, I'm etching in, I'm engraving in that behavior. So when that leader is in that difficult situation, it's not the first time and they, they have all that muscle memory, that etched in character to make ethical decisions the right way. And I think maybe that's particularly why sometimes we see all these things that come up in the news about ethical and bad decisions by leaders. I'm like, why does it happen? Because we just don't have the opportunity to practice it and repeat it and engrave it into our psyche and our muscle memory to do that. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more because it's so easy to armchair quarterback someone else's choices and to read a story and say, I can't believe he's so stupid. I can't believe he did those things. I can't believe she said that. I, what was what was she thinking? But even in a simulation, when it's you, it is so much harder to make that snap decision and to uh if you don't have an option, then it's, it's really, really hard. But once you've, you've had it, you've seen it a couple of times and you can create that option. I, I think that that can be a really powerful thing. Now you recently had the opportunity to work with the army, with the sharp people on their VR stuff. Was that, that was right. Right. That was what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. So how did they receive that? What, what was your impression of, of their using the VR to, to work on their training well, or their avatar system? Yeah, they were, they were blown away. Um, be, um, they realize that people become more authentic when they're in this type of immersive environment uh, because things become more real, if you will, um, as compared to maybe like role playing or other things or listening to or reading a case study type thing is that people become more authentic. Uh, and that's because when you see that avatar, you have that suspension of disbelief just enough because you know, wait a minute, this is an avatar. I get it, but it's just, there's just enough in your brain that's called suspension of disbelief that go, oh wait, that avatar looks like a real person because it's, it's in the shape of a real person. It's got all the features of a real person. Its mouth is moving, its eyes are looking at me and it's giving, it has a voice. So your mind goes, oh, it is a real person. And if it's a real person, then those people normally will demonstrate more authentic behaviors. And so then that sticks more. And so if it sticks more, then you have that reflection on it and hopefully you have a behavior change as which is what the army saw is like it was more authentic and the people felt more, it was more relevant to the training that they were going through. So that, and so that makes a difference now that if it's more relevant to you and it feels more authentic to you, then you have a more real experience for you. And we talk about behavior change. If you have an experience, you're gonna reflect on it. If you reflect on an experience, you'll probably have maybe behavior change in the future. If it comes up again, you'll try and do better or, or change your tactic. So leadership can, right, you can, you can change your leadership approach because of that experience you had and it felt real to you. Absolutely. Now. This is pretty emotional, though, for people, and we're talking about how authentic it can be, which is 
positive in so many ways. Have you seen any drawbacks or negatives to the use of VR? Well, that, wow, that's a good question. I'm trying to think because it's so hard because I'm so into the VR. I always think of the positives <laughs> as, I, but I'm, as I'm looking at the, the negative side. Um, well, is I, it possible it's created a catharsis in someone that wasn't willing to deal with it? You know, do, have you heard of, of people that became too emotional or it, it hit too close to home or, you, you know what I mean? Where it's just more yeah. than they can handle. Yeah, they, that's perfect, Mary. And that helped me bring up a, a, an example. Absolutely. Point when we get into some the, the military has been using um, VR exposure therapy for people with PTSD. Um, and so and it's not just like I can put somebody in VR and all of a sudden, you know, hey, tell me what's going on. And the reason they do do this with PTSD people is because they get stuck in counseling on what to say because they don't know what to do or what to say. And, and counselors have found that people, veterans with PTSD have gotten stuck and aren't progressing in their counseling sessions. It's because they don't know how to explain what's triggering them or what that experience is. So what they've done is they've recreated the events that triggered that veteran. So for example, a veteran that um, is driving in a convoy in Iraq, right, and had PTSD from a, a roadside bomb, an IED, uh, that was the kind of triggering, if you will, for their PTSD. But in counseling, they couldn't say, they couldn't give words to it. So now they put them into the VR headset and they actually uh, are, are in that Humvee driving and, and having that experience again. But because that becomes so surreal, it has to be done with a psychologist. That's the only thing, because you're right, because it becomes so real, right? You have to be real careful on how you can use this because you do hit connections. Just like the example we talked about with the mother and the daughter uh, passing away and, and bringing her back. It was, so, it was very controversial. It was a, a, a Korean company. Uh, and when they released the video, I think within hours, it had a couple million hits because it wasn't, it wasn't just about the, the VR. It was about the, the, the ethical questions and the moral reasoning behind that type of use of VR. And that's the key. And that's kind of, I think that's going to be the technology part. The funny thing is with technology, the policies and things always fall after. Mm -hmm. even, even Facebook is looking at, at it. Facebook is one of the largest VR and augmented reality research companies out there. Most people don't realize that. They spend way more money than almost any company on virtual reality and augmented reality, and they're leading the way. Um, they, have a, they have a project called ARIA, where, they're, where you wear glasses that look just like Ray-Ban glasses that you would wear to read. But they have like six or seven cameras on them, little cameras. Oh my gosh, it's Ghost Fleet. Have you read yeah. Ghost Fleet? Oh my gosh, it's Ghost Fleet. Exactly. <laughs> they've, they've made them. And oh my they gosh. they made them and, and um, their, their employees are using them and it's gonna track all data that they wear. So for the future, um, the next set of augmented reality glasses that you'll wear that will look just like sunglasses, right? As you're walking around, you have a personalized augmented reality experience as you're walking through the shopping mall because, because they've captured all the data across wherever and it can now feed into your personalized view. And so now it becomes very personal, but now, talk, now, let's, now you get into individual rights and information, data, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But that's, because we've been talking a lot about virtual reality, but other part of virtual technology is the augmented reality, right? Putting glasses on or being able to see something digital in your, in your, in your real space, right? Like a floating heart right here or something like that. So if I put some glasses on, and my glasses know that I, I, I watch TV at two o'clock, it might bring up the TV guide in my field of view in my glasses, right? Because it knows all this information because all the information was tracked and captured. Come on, that's terrifying. It's I terrifying. Know, and, that's, and that's kind of where the VR world, you can only go so far in virtual reality, but the augmented reality is really, is, or what we call mixed reality, 
is really taking a little bit of both, right? An avatar, but the avatar is in your world because you have a pair of glasses on. But what about stuff like, you know, they can deep fake videos and they can take, so, you know, but using a combination of avatars, of actors, of deep faking a video, you can easily take the video of you and I talking right now and you can make it something else completely different. And it, I mean, obviously I can't do that because I'm not computer savvy, but there's people that can do that stuff. That's terrifying. Yep, are, yep. <laughs> there's, some, there's, there's one called DigiDug, right? They, and it's literally a, it's really a phone. A guy has a bicycle helmet on, puts an armature thing on it. And his, phone's, his, his phone, iPhone is sitting in front of his face. And, that, and then it's streaming that data to a gaming computer. That gaming computer is rendering what it's capturing from the phone, which is his face and literally rendering, digitizing his face as a virtual a virtual him, a Doug, which is called Digi Doug. It looks just like him all the way down to the pores, the tears of hair, and it's up on screen. It looks just like him. It, I call our digital twins and stuff. This stuff is used in, in movie making all the time in Hollywood, but now it's being crossed over. And this is the thing, all this type of technology is crossing over into other industries and, and including the military, right? And using it in simulations for all the hard skill, technical skills. But now we're trying to figure out how we can use it in this human domain to allow people to to develop in that soft skills, which is what we're talking about when we're talking about how you communicate and dialogue and and you know interact with people and 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 not be afraid to make mistakes and practice that. The technology is finally caught up where you can start to do that. But now we're trying to figure out how far can we go with it and is it even ethically or morally right to do that because you're you're really hitting into that human domain and how far can you go with it. You know, it almost seems like we need think tanks to be thinking ahead of the technology for our legislation, because you're right, all of our legislation is always reactive and it's always way behind. Something terrible has to happen for us to figure out that someone's going to do that. But it doesn't seem like we have anybody that's focused on leaning forward on the rules at the same time that people are leaning forward on the technology in order to keep us safe, you know? Absolutely right, Mary. I think, especially on the human domain side, we haven't hit this. I mean, and we could lump artificial intelligence into this immersive technology, but that becomes almost a very specific thing to talk about and and can get very deep and heavy when you get into AI. But that, but AI is is helping all this AR, augmented reality, and virtual reality things happen. And we look at AI from, I think, from the military's perspective, it's all on that simulation, data gathering, computations, algorithms to allow us to make decisions and see information to make decisions and use it in simulation type things. But what about it when it hits the human domain side of things, right? When the AI is making decisions for you and those types of things can get quite scary and, and nobody's, I don't think there's much out there thinking other than the only one I've seen is, is like privacy issues, right? How much are these systems, augmented reality glasses and things like that gathering data and in the future, it's going it, to, there's going to be a new, call it a, a, there's going to be a new management system of information that's literally going to surpass the way the internet works. Uh, and so I literally, you're, it's, it's those movies that you see in the future where you're walking and every time you walk, it's like something pops up and only you see it because it's just for you because the whole system knows everything about you as you're walking around in the world. But we're just not there in the think tank when it comes to the human domain and how we can use technology to leverage how we develop people or how we develop leaders. The human domain is, you have psychology, you have sociology, you have, there's so many different domains of, of studying of the human mind and, and people, it gets very complex and it's hard to see what it looks like in that immersive technology. Absolutely, absolutely. Have you read The Circle by Dave Eggers? I have not. It's a novel, but it's basically like what you're talking about. Like everyone has a responsibility to social media. You have, you, you have to 
review your restaurants because it's your responsibility to everyone to tell them what you think because they deserve the information. It's a very, very big brothery dystopian kind of um, yes. Google is in your life kind of. <laughs> kind of exactly. Well, that's, and that's what, and that's what I think Facebook's doing with that project Aria is to do that. It, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, it's, it's capturing without you having to know anything. Right. Which is terrifying. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, it's quite, yeah, they are way, they, they're probably the biggest think tank on, on looking at this technology out there. So. That's so interesting. So final question, Andy, as, as a leader, as someone who studies leadership, both in the, in the classroom and doing, you know, face-to-face -face student teaching or teaching to students and also immersed in this VR technology that you do, that really you're one of the leading experts for the Air Force in this. What piece of advice would you give to leaders when they get the opportunity to look at technology to add to their leadership? I, I think you have to take a chance, and, but start small. That, that's, that's the easiest way to kind of kind of try something out. Don't be afraid to try something small. And, that, and that, that's kind of how, we've, that's how we started at Air University with a lot of the immersive technology because um, corporations out there, you'll see out there big money, big bucks, people do a lot of things with it. But if you want something to actually stick and something to work, especially in the human domain, you just have to start small. It does not have to be big. We started with a 2D environment on a, on a computer screen. And that was what, 10 years ago. And we did that for years before it moved even into the VR world. And so as you look out there and you see technology out there in industry, for us in the military, we just had to find a small step you need to kind of refine that, right? Make that good and perfect before trying to say, okay, this, you know, technology is the best thing ever. We should use this for everything. There's a thing called flow theory, right? Where do you, where do you use it? People are like, oh, let's change it. This happened to pilot training next. And it's a great thing that they've done, but I think they missed a step when they looked at the flow theory. They took pilot training and said, well, let's put it all into VR. And so, and it's great because there's a lot of things happening with pilot training next in the VR. But there was, they missed some things we call flow theory. What happens when this, you put a student in there that's not ready for those types of tasks, right? Or what happens when that student comes out of that task in the VR? Is the next step to be in the classroom face-to-face -face with the instructor or do the, is the next step some other step, right? So what is the steps of when you use immersive technology, what is the flow that you have? And so you have to start small instead of trying to change an entire program. And, and that, that, that's kind of my focus for success is start small, don't change the whole program. Think about small steps and keep that flow. What's the flow that you want for how you're gonna develop your people? That's great advice, thank you. I, I, I think that it can be really tempting to think if you don't jump in with both feet, you're not getting the full benefit. So I, I think that that's really, really helpful advice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Andy, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. It was super interesting and I enjoyed talking with you. I did too, Mary. I really appreciate it. And thank you again for letting me uh, talk to you guys a little bit about leadership and technology in the human domain. Absolutely. That's been our discussion of virtual reality and leadership with Dr. Andy Clayton on Level the Pursuit. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, uh, please give it a like, subscribe, or share with a friend. If you didn't, please drop me a note at info at levelthepursuit.com and let me know what I could do better. Uh, next week, I have no idea what we're going to talk about next week. I got to give it some thought. So if you have an idea for that, feel free to <laughs> reach out for that as well. Uh, but have a great week, peeps, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks again for joining Level the Pursuit. While we can't choose where we start, we can choose our dreams and how we pursue them. Remember, 
Success is a team sport and there's room for all of us to achieve our goals. So be a good leader, be a good follower, and do something great.